0: This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Bélanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Welcome into the show. My name is Braden Dennis. As always, with the legendary Simon Bélanger. We are talking Earnings and News. It's a Thursday release of the of the podcast today. You're going to talk about some big big retail news coming out of Canada. I'm going to talk about a gigantic acquisition of a Canadian semiconductor company. Hey, congrats to those guys who are now just like almost billionaires. That must be that must be cool. And then we're going to talk about some earnings results from some companies we know and love. All right, Simone, what do you got for us first?
1: Yeah, so I'll talk about Nordstrom earnings and some big news coming out of uh, that earnings release as well. So the big news is, I'm assuming most people saw it, so Nordstrom announced its Q4 earnings and the, what made deadlines is that they'll be winding down their Canadian operations. If you're outside of Ontario, Alberta, or BC, you might wonder what Nordstrom is because they're only in those provinces. Um, there are only six Nordstrom in Canada and seven Nordstrom racks. Nordstrom racks are just their their discount retailers, a bit like Winners, I guess uh, would be uh, if people are familiar with that. So Nordstrom is essentially a luxury department to- store. We have one in o- Ottawa. We also have a Nordstrom rack. I know there's a couple in Toronto or in the GTA area too, um, and. I personally don't go there very often, and when I do, it's because there's sales. Because I find the stuff is too expensive. You know what these things are, and I've never understood how any like how they have any product
0: market fit. It is a giant duty free. That's what it feels like. You know, you go into yeah. the airport, international flight, and it's like here's some overpriced perfumes and like way too many salespeople. That's what a Nordstrom is. I don't get how they have ever been successful, but uh, people like this stuff. Yeah. Clearly not in Canada, though.
1: Yeah. Well, (laughs) no. And their stores are really nice. I mean, like they obviously were open not too long ago. The one in Ottawa is at Rideau Centre and they took, I think, part of the space of where the Sears was at, 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 but it was completely revamped. Uh, But yeah, it's not... One that I go often, I'll probably go have a look because they're going to be having a lot of sales and their, their website actually stopped uh, working on March 2nd. So you can no longer go on their website and they're really being aggressive. So they're looking to wind down everything by June. So if you're in one of the oh, wow. region that has and they have a lot of inventory exactly. in each location so. So if you have, yeah. you know, one nearby, uh definitely you, may, you might want to go swing by to see if there's some stuff on sale. And for context here, like their Canadian operation is just a drop in the bucket. It represents 3.6% of total store accounts. And Eric Nordstrom this is mentioned the following and I'll just quote what he said. So, we entered Canada in 2014 with a plan to build a and sustain a long-term business there. Despite our best effort, we do not see a realistic path to profitability for the Canadian business. We want to thank our team for the performance and dedication serving customers in Canada. Um, And you have to commend them. I mean, if something's not working, it's been eight years you know and it's been a relatively good economic environment as well during those 8 years you know if you take out the 2020s so i think it's a smart business move for them if it's not working why drag it out now their full year and q4 results were as follows Revenues increased 5% to $15.5 billion for the year. However, they were down 4% in Q4. Net income for the year was up 37% to $245 million, but was down 40% for Q4. Gross profit margins took a big hit for both the year and Q4, falling 150 basis point and 480 respectively. And free cash flow did quite well, doubled for the year, but again, they're seeing some slowdown in Q4. And that's why it's important when you look at full year, I would say also make sure, especially in this current environment, you want to make sure sometimes the Earlier results will skew where the business is going, and this is a clear example. Um, they are guiding for revenue decline of between 4 and 6% for 2023, and I'll actually elaborate a bit more on this later because I'll be looking at the guidance and more guidance for five other major retailers and some kind of cracks that we're seeing in retail for 2023 um, just to, to put some additional context over here. But um, yeah, not a, you know, okay year. I mean, I think it's going to be a challenging year for 2023 for them. And at the end of the day, I think they made the right decision to, to leave Canada. This goes
0: in the long list of wonderful retail. Oh, I don't know about Nordstrom, but in the list of wonderful retailers with a model that works and just doesn't work North of the border. (laughs) You know, it's the, it's the targets. It's the now Nordstrom. There's a, there's a list of them. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't translate the same way. Um, And I don't know why. I mean, for me, every time I walk in there, I go, what purpose does this, department store serve. Like, I I don't understand why anyone would purposely go there. I, but again, I am clearly not the target, target market or target customer. But, you know, if I wanted to go put on, uh you know, some free samples of cologne, I would do that at the airport
1: yeah and i thought they had done it like i wasn't following the business closely but compared to target that like you mentioned target was a disaster like when they opened, you would go into their store have the shelves were empty they tried to open the stores too quickly and the supply chains weren't well established and then they just decided to pull the plug that wasn't the issue with nordstrom but you clearly you know i guess it's tough doing business in canada i guess that's <laughs> what it is
0: yeah it's clearly not translated i was just looking it up because i had no idea um because the current ceo is his last name is nordstrom yeah yeah, he's part of the family yeah it was founded by john nordstrom and carl wallen in 1871 so this guy's like what like how many generations later running the business very interesting um That's not very
1: common. Yeah, I didn't realize it was founded that long ago. I mean, I guess it's the U.S. debate, I guess, equivalent almost. Yeah, Yeah.
0: basically. Yeah. All these department stores always have deep, deeply rooted, rich, long history, like a couple centuries, which is kind of crazy, the longevity of these things.
1: Mm -hmm. Which debate will probably benefit from their closure. That's probably going to be one of the benefactor.
0: Yeah. Good point. Um. Let's talk about Germany's Infineon, which is a semiconductor company, is buying uh, GAN systems for $830 million. Incredible price tag here and big news in Canadian tech and semiconductors. Uh, so here's the here's the top line article. Germany-based Infineon Technologies, which, by the way, is a roughly $50 billion in market cap company, so it's a large semi-company. They just announced on March 2nd, so like five days ago, they plan to acquire Canada-based GAN systems, GAN systems. According to a joint press release, the two have signed a definitive agreement under which Infineon will acquire GAN systems for $830 million. I believe it's All in cash, too, uh, was the other article I looked at, which is, you know, hey, (laughs) uh, you know, these two guys, (laughs) John Roberts and Gervon Patterson out in Ottawa. Congrats on being stupidly wealthy. My goodness. And so what do they do? GAN Systems is the G, capital G, lowercase a, capital N, is the elemental symbol for gallium nitride, And gallium nitride is a material that is being used for semiconductors. Its largest competitor in terms of material, if you will, if that's a a word you can use, is silicon. Um, And so they produce semiconductor components that are smaller, lighter, faster, more efficient than silicon-only chips. Per the globe, Infineon is a longtime partner already of GAN systems. They raised two hundred and twenty million dollars US to, USD to date. This this Ottawa company, and includes an one hundred and fifty million dollar funding round in late twenty twenty one. So they've raised lots of money, but still, when you're talking about a almost billion dollar exit, uh, these guys are like I don't even know how they walk around with so much money uh, now. They're Use cases for gallium nitride and on their website is Consumer Electronics Data Center and 5G Automotive Renewables Industrial Other, uh, so whatever that is, includes. Uh, they have offices in Shenzhen, China, Hsinchu Science Park, Taiwan, uh, which is very close to the... F- <laughs> getting like, a oh, kick God, out of uh, right.
1: Braden's uh, Mandarin pronunciation, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> well, how Do you know how to say... That uh, probably shinshu, shinshu. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think the Jones, Yeah. How
0: different was that?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, close to its foundry partner TSMC, without being technical enough on semiconductors and gallium nitride, it is an alternative to silicon, and um, they have their pros and cons. But many believe gallium nitride is the future of some semiconductor applications.
1: Yeah, and for any of our Mandarin-speaking listeners, um, we're trying our best. So, if we butcher the these names that we do apologize. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, it's like every time I try to say uh, some of these Quebec-based companies, I just refer to you um, because, you know what, I'll never say them properly I've already kind of that ship has already sailed that ship has sailed like you know so many years ago but uh I'm still going to I'm still going to try out here anyways uh congrats to this company out of Canada gigantic acquisition huge exit um we don't have this many. Me- don't have that many of this scale happen very frequently. So, uh, congrats.
1: Yeah, and for those who are not familiar with Ottawa, there's actually a decent tech sector in Ottawa called uh, in the before the amalgamation it was called, and people still refer to it Canada. And uh, it's where the Ottawa Centers play as well. So there's a slew of like small to medium and some large tech companies that are there. So I wasn't surprised when I saw Canada because it is uh pretty well known yeah. in the region here. Yeah. That's yeah, that's where these guys
0: are from. And uh I've actually been there and before I was there I didn't realize that the Senators played there.
1: Oh yeah, it's until- so far. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's so far away. Like I was like I was looking at the stadium, I was like, Wait, the Canadian Tire Centre is here like you know it's something you would just never know as a guy from toronto who goes to ottawa like once a, you know every once in a while
1: but they very, very infrequently they are looking to build it downtown so there's uh the teams that's for a, sale right wise yeah. idea yeah and ryan reynolds may be a uh, kind of part owner buying it and one of i think the prerequisite is that they'll be able to buy a uh, build a new stadium that's closer to everything yeah and more central
0: dude Ryan Reynolds just dominates that guy. Like that guy just dominates. He does so many movies. He's made an obscene amount of money. He's way too good at acting and comedy and business to be that handsome. Like that should. Like, you know, what's going on? Like you, you it's know, not it's fair. Like, put him and Tom Brady. <laughs> you know him and Tom Brady. Like you're not allowed to be this good at everything. Um, But no, I, I think that's a wise idea for the city. Uh and, and of course, I mean, tech wise, you ever heard of Shopify? I mean, uh is Ottawa's Ottawa's definitely up
1: there with uh, some winners. Or Nortel, not so much a winner, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Nortel, let's not, yeah. Let's not go there. <laughs> Throwback. Yeah. <laughs> so now continuing on the retail trend here, so Costco, um, you know, the business I love to hate because going there is always always feels like it gets my blood pressure slightly high but it's definitely a wonderful business now total revenues increased 65 uh, 6.5 percent to 55 billion this was for q2 2023 so slightly different reporting schedule membership fees increased six percent which is quite amazing seeing that they did not increase increase the fees so to have that six percent increase just shows as there are more people that are actually signing up and becoming members for costco whether i don't know if it's just regular member getting that executive more expensive membership or just you know a slew of new people but still very interesting to see comparable sales were up for us canada and international comparable sales for e-commerce however was down 9.6 percent not surprising obviously when you're comparing to still kind of pandemic-ish a quarter year over year the operating income was up 5%, net income was up 13% to $1.5 billion, and earning per share was also up 13% to $3.30. Overall, really good quarter. I will touch a bit about uh, weak retail guidance, but Costco never provides guidance, so I won't include them there, and I think Costco will actually be one of the more resilient big box stores, and I'm going to include Walmart into that, because there's two... They're really... what's separates Costco and Walmart to other retailers or big big box stores is that they actually have a pretty good portion of their revenues that comes from grocery related sales and the groceries and we talked about inflation, but people have had to eat, right? So it's something that pulls people in. While they're in the store, they may be purchasing some other things. So it really gives them an edge. And to give an idea of what college school looks like in terms of grocery sales, and I combine here because they have two items. They have like uh, I think it's fresh produce and then foods and sun So I kind of just put the two together because that in my mind just represents groceries so between 2020 and 2022 grocery sales have increased 25 percent in total as a percentage of total sales it represents 52 percent in 2022 that's compared to 56 in 2020 however i think it's important to understand because i know in canada we had um i don't know if you remember that there were some lockdowns where costco and other big box store were only able to open but they had to like cordon off sections and only the essential stuff was allowed to be bought like groceries for example so i think you know the fact that it's decreased a little bit that may be one of the reasons but still 50% 50% plus of their sales being grocery, that's pretty impressive. And for 2022, they did $150 billion in grocery sales. So really, really impressive. And I think it will really give them an edge in terms of kind of being able to not have seeing a slowdown in sale for this year or potentially next year compared to other retailers like I'll be uh, talking about a bit later. You just sent me down a... a- PTSD
0: inducing memory lane <laughs> where like they had this, some of the stuff blocked off, oh, yeah. which never made any sense to me. I'm like, wait, you're going to funnel more people in a smaller area. What, like, I'm not, I'm no scientist, but something ain't adding up here. Dude, that's the Walmart Costco thing you're talking about here too, is like, yes, the grocery, but these are retailers that actually compete on price. They compete on low gross margins and that is what is so compelling for the business Um, and and it keeps them so insulated from, uh, from the broader economy.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the reason why we talk so much about membership fees for Costco, it's because their margins are so low on what they sell that essentially almost all that membership fee revenue goes down to the bottom line. So I think that's why, you know, we kind of harp on that quite a bit because the margins are so low, so it's good. They have a great volume, but it won't necessarily translate to crazy profits where they really get it as those uh, membership fees. Yeah, for context,
0: Costco usually has like between 10 and 12% gross margins, which is about half of other retailers. Like Walmart's are like at 23 to 25 Um I don't know what it is on a trailing twelve, but that's that. Those are the rules of thumb typically when you're comparing these businesses. So that is a gigantically different business model. Um, I, Simone, I was last week. I was about as close as you can get to buying Costco shares. Like I had the limit order ready. <laughs> I was sitting at my computer. I've never come this close to buying shares of a stock in like. Bitched out. I, 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 as I always do, if I'm, I'm not feeling the valuation and I, I sh- I've been saying that for way too long sitting on my hands, I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm buying Costco. It's happening. You know what? Always a good thing to do is, is close your brokerage account, sleep on it for a day or two. And, and I took my own advice there. It's probably going to be the wrong decision as it has been for the last 10 years by not buying shares, but uh, you have to operate. By with some some rules and patience, or else you're going to end up with a, a whole basket of stocks.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not. I think the only thing that. You, I don't like from Costco is evaluation. Everything else, it's, the only, thing. it's yeah. the only thing. And I mean, there's a good reason it has a premium, but I mean, eh. it, it's it
0: will it yeah. trades at that price because it's the only thing wrong with the. Like, yeah, there's hardly any bare mm-hmm. case on it. But like, the issue with the
1: such a high premium, it also doesn't give you much margin for error if something does go wrong. Exactly. And clearly, it hasn't in the past, you know, however long, but still remains that there could go that something that goes wrong, and then you ended up paying too much for the business. I'm not saying it will, it's just it doesn't give you much margin for error.
0: Yeah, like my thing is try not to overpay, and it's hard to say I'm not uh when you own Costco shares. Alright, let's talk about Live Nation, ticker LYV, the owner of, you know, most people are familiar with them, owning Ticketmaster as, you know, their kind of crown jewel of an asset. Now, Wow. Um These results were kind of nuts. Uh, 2022 was quite the rebound. Uh, and it's in line with what we've seen discussing the travel and experiences, Mark, you know, the booking holdings, the, the Airbnbs. When you compare it to 2019, many of these businesses have not only renewed demand in such a major way, which shouldn't come as a surprise, but actually – seeing record, record demand far in excess of what, what we had seen in 2019. And so sure, there's some pulled forward growth, but I think there's also a change in sentiment around the consumer and experiences. For the concert segment, it was – so let's just back up a bit here. In 2019, the concert segment did $9.5 billion in sales on the top line. In 2020, this fell to just $1.5 billion. So that probably just covered like January and February ish when everything shut down. It was like, you know, Feb, Feb 20th roughly. Um, and so you basically captured that and then the business went to complete ghost mode, try not to die, uh, over the next 18 months. They just reported 13 and a half billion. In concert revenues for 2022. So this represents a 43% jump in concert revenues and a record 121 million concert goers in the year. So overall revenues revenues are up 44%. So very in line with that concert line, because it it is the major majority of the business. And back to real gap profits as well. This is another stock where. The adjustments are just like, wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, like footnotes, footnotes. Uh, stock is looking fairly attractive here at surface level. Um, it's on my watch list today. I, I do think it is a great business. I do think Ticketmaster is a real toll road of a business, but I gotta dig into the financials. It's a, it's a difficult one to grasp. The margin profile is confusing. The n- net margins are, are essentially terrible and adjustment after adjustment. So, you know, if you, <laughs> Look no further than my discussion about GFL last week. And rule one as an investor for me is knowledge and willingness to understand the business. So I'm not quite there yet. That's why it sits on my watch list, but it's looking pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. Uh, Outlook. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, my my issue with them has always been, you know, they do have sometimes some questionable practices in terms of you know what they'll do, um, and I think that's always going to be a risk for them in terms of potential regulatory risk, right? So I think that's that's one issue there. But uh, I mean, it's a good business, obviously, because you know they. I think they own some stadiums too, right? Right out. Right. Yeah. yeah the way the network
0: and infrastructure that they have built to dominate large events as being like the only name in town for it um, is quite fascinating. And I I was reading this blog post done by uh, the guys at Baskin here in Toronto. They wrote a piece about how misunderstood the the fees are for ticketmaster and why they have to charge it and i think that they need to do some better pr about what goes in there cuz you can't not buy a ticket look at the fees that ticketmaster is collecting and 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 just shake your head as you enter in your credit card information anyways you know um looking into 2023 uh, you know, they're they're expecting st- still really strong demand for concerts and events, event-related to photo revenue at $2.7 billion, uh to start the year, up $400, 400 million just looking out uh, as of mid-February versus 2022. Um, they think that concert ticket sales are going to be up 20%, international up 25%. Uh, strong uh, fee bearing gross transactions on 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 ticketing and uh, sponsorship commitments up double digits and so i I think and again, I do not have real statistical anything to back this up beyond my own anecdotal opinion and I'm curious on your opinion as well. I do think there is a large seismic secular shift to experiences, concerts, going and doing things beyond, one, just going to bars. Drinking is on the decline. We just saw that alcohol sales in Canada have reached like multi-decade sales uh, lows. I'll talk on that on next Thursday's episode. Uh, Many, many reports are coming out that North America Gen Zs are not drinking as much, and so what are they going to go do? They got to go do things. They got to go, you know, you can't just, hey, bud, let's, uh, you know, hop over and go ch- crush eight pints. People are still going to do that. But there is this growing demand for doing actual events um, and and. And it's coming out a bit in the data here and prioritizing trips and experiences in this next generation. I think that's a long secular trend that you know, the Airbnbs and the live nations of the world are going to really benefit from.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess people will go to a concert and smoke weed instead of drinking alcohol.
0: Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah, um, totally. No, but I agree with that. I think what we saw was 2020, 2021 with the lockdowns, obviously limited opportunity to travel or go to concerts, especially in Canada, but also Europe, the U.S. I think it really depended what state you were in. Uh But yeah, clearly people spent, bought goods. During 20 and 2021, 20, because you know you bought new furniture because you couldn't really leave your home, or you bought a seadoo because you have a cottage and you're not going to be traveling or going to a concert, so might as well enjoy something new. I bought bikes and so on, right? So people really shifted to goods because you know that's the only thing. Or. They had a limited opportunities to spend their money, and now I think it's really shifting, like you said to experiences and Expedia I think it's Expedia has a really good commercial, but basically it says something to the effect that you know oh you're going to spend to buy this in twenty years you're not going to remember this you 're going to remember the trip you went on and I mean that I'm butchering it a little bit, but that's the esen- es- yeah. essence of it, and I think it's a pretty accurate commercial, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I think that that messaging is re- is really resonating with this next generation, what we'll call the Gen Zs, and the data has come out. Uh, you know, there's so many reports. They're not. Uh, they don't want to do the same things uh, that you know previous generations have done. This is normal. This happens. You know, every time. And one thing that I noticed is that they're not drinking as much, um, contrary to what I may have thought. So uh, very interesting data. By the way, for those listening, it's Canadian investing show, so people are going to be curious about the bank earnings. It's you got to stay tuned at the end. <laughs> Simone is also, I didn't mention uh, this at the top of the show, Simone's going to do a roundup of uh, Canadian bank earnings as well. But before <laughs> then, let's talk retail.
1: Yeah, so like I said earlier, there's been some really weak retail guidance, and it's not just anecdotal, it's pretty major retailers here that are providing some weak guidance for 2023 like i mentioned we talked about nordstrom clearly it's a clothing retailer there or a department store but walmart is probably the walmart and costco are the two that are actually providing some well costco is not providing guidance but i assume it'll probably be similar in range to walmart so walmart they're saying 2.5 to 3% sales increase for 2023 a decrease in adjusted earnings per share of 5% in the mid range so you're clearly seeing still some impact with higher costs uh, for a walmart so it's kind of a lukewarm guidance here but clearly the grocery is making a big difference because if you compare that to target or i know some people like to call it Target for <laughs> cuz <'cause> it's a, <laughs> a target. yeah a slightly classier walmart i guess but uh, they're 2023 guidance sales to either decline in the low single digits or increase in the low single digits. So pretty stark, you know, not great guidance here. The earnings per share increase of 38% in the mid range. However, Target had a disastrous 2021, like really, really bad 2021. So their increase is still the EPS not... Uh, back to the level they had 2020 or 2019. So I think you have to take that into account. So not great ca- guidance for Target. Home Depot, um, you can pretty much include Lowe's. I think uh, Lowe's guidance was pretty similar to that, but I don't have it here. Sales growth and comparable sales to be flat in 2023 compared to last year. Earnings per share to decline in the mid-single digits. Operating margins to be approximately 14.5%, which would be a 80 basis point decline. As a side note, they are increasing employee compensation by $1 I think they really want to put emphasis on having good employees that are able to provide you know actually good service because a lot of people go to home depot and you know myself included i don't really know sometimes what i'm looking for what i need and i need someone and it's really helpful when i have someone that actually knows what they're talking about and can point me to the right direction and home depot for the most part has done a pretty good job for that Um, and like i said earlier i think walmart and costco will probably be some outliers there because the grocery business will definitely Help them grow their sales, not by a lot, but a little bit, and really encourage people to go to their stores. But other retailers, and these are just a few, uh, but if you kind of look across, uh, f- there's a lot of retailers that are projecting some slowing sales for 2023, and a lot of that is actually due for- to some pretty poor q4 numbers so um if you're interested in retailers this may be an opportunity if you think it's more short term some of them it may be a bit more dire but uh just something to keep in mind that 2023 will probably be a bit rougher year compared to the last few years dude when you're in home depot and you you, you go up to the they, they got that uh the orange
0: aprons you know they got those orange aprons smells fantastic in there you know you smell some fresh two by fours and like rubber on on the floor and you walk up to there with your tail between your legs because you're like dude i have a question that i should know (laughs) like you like have to like hand in your man card to the guy for like a little bit and he he doesn't give it back to you till till the end of the conversation because like you're asking like such a basic question um I love the employees there. They're very helpful. Uh, there's a good culture there, clearly. And uh, shelling out $1 billion in uh, empl- employee compensation is probably not too bad of an idea.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's um, definitely, I think, a smart move. And the last one I didn't add to my notes, but uh, I know Best Buy is also projecting some a decline in sale. So it's clearly like not an outlier. It seems that it's pretty consistent. Obviously, there's going to be some outliers that will do well, but uh, I think retail... We're starting to see a picture that retail is gonna see a slowdown twenty twenty three. Let's talk about tech Intuit, it ticker. More positive into. news, I guess. <laughs> yeah, more
0: positive news. Uh you're probably seeing lots of Intuit ads these days with taxis. And uh the software company of their four main assets TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and now MailChimp. They reported their Q2 of fiscal 23. So a bit of an interesting operating schedule there. Thank, thank them for it because they always give us news. Um, all right. So there's the Canadian Investor Podcast drinking game, which we need to make the rules of one of these days. And every time I say QuickBooks is a beast on this podcast, drink. And, and drink now because QuickBooks is a beast, this is one of those businesses where it's like, yeah, sure. TurboTax, Credit Karma, MailChimp, pretty good businesses, great assets in this like now conglomerate of software companies that are, are, are all operating in like similarly tangential spaces and really helping the small business is like kind of their key. But QuickBooks, brother. You know how I just say the corporate world is glued together by Excel spreadsheets? Well, the small to medium-sized businesses is just glued together by QuickBooks. Say what you want about the product. I think it's actually pretty solid. You and I use it for the podcast, this business that we run. I use it for Stratosphere and MailChimp as well. So, uh, Intuit shareholders, you're welcome. I, I shell out tons of money to them every year. And... You know, I pay my employees on there as well on QuickBooks. Uh, It's just already equipped with payroll and like HR as a service. So it's a no-brainer for them to kind of tangentially tag on services and have users spend more and more money every year just like I do. Um, And it's really QuickBooks in particular has nailed this two-sided network effect because your accountant and your bookkeepers are going to be familiar with it. You're familiar with it. It's got that two-sided network effect that I love. Um and I sh- I really should have bought the stock 5 years ago when I had realization that there's something special here. Uh but maybe the second best time is now. Uh if you can justify the price cuz this is this is not a cheap stock. It's one of those beautifully Uh, beautiful free cash flow per share compounders and ridiculously high margins and high network and switching costs. So the result is this is not a cheap stock. I'll make this quick because it's just Q2. It's not full year guidance and we're going to do Canadian banks after this. Revenue is up 14%, so mid double digits. Earnings per share, a whopping 42% year over year increase from Q2 last year. And they have slightly raised... Uh, 2023 full-year expectations. But man, QuickBooks segment, 27% year-over-year on already what was a monster comp. Such a wonderful asset. Arguably one of the most sticky assets. Super profitable. What's not to love? So um, this is one of those like Gems within a gem of a business, and uh, Intuit is truly a high quality compounder at this point,
1: yeah. And it's you can tell the markets see it that way too, because today, like, uh, tech is getting crushed because, uh, you know, good old Jerome, good old Jerome uh, just making some hawkish comments about uh, them thinking
0: something at like 10 o'clock, right? Yeah,
1: he basically said that, um, they now think interest rates will have to be higher than they originally anticipated and pretty much everything that's more uh, risk on like growth stocks have been uh, hit pretty hard today but Intuit is actually you know it's down 0.8% which is really good for uh, I kind of still have a tech company it really shows that the market thinks that regardless of the macro environment Intuit should be able to do well yeah
0: Yeah, like Microsoft's down double that, for instance. And and, and Microsoft's a utility at this point. So uh, that gives you some useful context. You know what also is barely down? Good old Constellation software. It seems to be... uh, the most resilient of stocks around. Uh, thank goodness for that.
1: Yeah, and we will be talking about them in a future episode because we had an interesting question about uh, why I'm not owning Constellation Software. So people who want to hear about that. Uh, we'll touch on that a future episode. Now, like Braden said, Canadian bank earnings. I'll touch. I try to kind of mix it up a little bit when we do Canadian bank earnings, not always doing like the same ones. Uh, I also don't want to do all six or seven of them, or I think it's seven now, the big banks. Uh, So I think three kind of gives us a good gauge. I'll touch on CIBC. BMO and Bank of Nova Scotia. Um, I won't go into great details here, uh, but I'll look at the loan loss provisions and net interest margins. For those not familiar, if we have some new listeners, because I think this is the first time I do it in 2023. I think so. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. (laughs) You know, that brain, I kind (laughs) of forget. But... um, so It's a giant time warp anyways. It's good. Yeah, exactly. So, loan loss provisions. Also, you'll hear provisions for credit losses. Same thing. It's essentially a bank or financial institution that's putting money aside for... In the event because they think that they may have people not paying their loans to them, so they're putting provisions aside for that. So that's a really important metric right now because as interest rates are going up, uh, you know, economy is slowing down a bit. That kind of perfect storm, if you'd like, should result in some more people not being able to pay their loans. So the the money they're actually setting aside is actually a good indication on where the banks think this is going. So I'll I'll start with BMO. So adjusted earning per share was down 17% to $3.22 versus the same period last year. I normally don't look at adjusted net earnings, but in this case, I think it was appropriate. That's because it adjusted for their acquisition of Bank of the West in the US and the associated cost with the transaction. So I think it would have just really skewed. It would have been much lower. Um, and you know, people may have seen that and just panic thinking BMO is uh, down the gutter. It's not the case. So I thought. It was justified here. They set aside 217 million for loan loss provisions. That's following a 226 million in Q4 2022. And that's in contrast with a release of 99 million in Q1 of 2022. So they'll release those loan loss provisions when they think they no longer need them. So we're seeing kind of the shift here in banks, the net interest margin. So that's pretty pretty simple uh the net interest margin is just a difference between uh what they would pay people have money in accounts with the bank in terms of interest versus what they loan out so it's the average spread between the two it's one of the main ways that banks make money and it's a key metric whenever you're looking at banks so compared uh so net interest margin was a dollar uh, sorry 1.48 percent compared with 1.46 in q4 of 2022 but 1.71 in q3 of 2022 and this will be kind of a theme here is that we're seeing this net interest margin kind of uh go down in the last couple of quarters and aside from the last two quarters the lowest it had been since 2020 was 1.57 so you're seeing you know again i think that canadian banks are in good health generally but you're definitely seeing some headwinds appear CIBC Q1 of 2023. So earnings per share was down 69% to 39 cents. Loan loss provisions were 295 million. And for context here, they had 1.05 billion in provisions last year and 158 million in 2021. So you're really seeing them putting a lot of money towards those loan loss provisions in the past year. Net interest margins of uh, 1.49%. That's compared to 1.51 in Q4 of 2022. And the net interest margin is down about 10 basis point versus what it was uh, in Q1 of 2021 and Q3 of 2022. So slightly lower there. And the issue with CIBC has always been, from my perspective, and you can add in your thoughts here, is I, I posted this on Twitter as well, is you know, in their investor presentation, they actually do a pretty good job of showing it, but they always have a credit portfolio breakdown. And the real estate lending is 55% of their total loan portfolio. It's actually trended up a little bit. Last time I checked, it was around 53%. Um, now, a lot of these are insured, uh, you know, insurance from the CHMC, for example, there are some private insurers as well. But they do have a pretty substantial amount of uninsured mortgages as well. The good thing is the uninsured mortgages are loan to value of about 50% or a bit less. But those uninsured mortgages, if people default on them, um, it's never a good thing for the bank because then they have to take over and sell it and try to recoup their money. So this is definitely one of the banks where, you know, I'm definitely the most reluctant to touch uh them and Bank of Nova scotia are the two that i would be very reluctant. I don't know what your thoughts are on that those are the lot those are the two
0: i would also have the least preference to own uh in probably in that order um look this has always been the knock on CBC is l- look at the look at the loan mix fifty five percent uh to real estate lending um so more than half the, the loan mix. And I mean, they're just so uh, concentrated in Canadian housing, whereas the other banks have done a pretty good job over the last decade or so to have opportunities outside of these borders and not just <laughs> loaning money. Um, like if you look at What TD and 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 RBC and National Bank deserve some credit too. Um, What those what those businesses have done, Uh, dude. Even BMO. Yeah, yeah. So I, my I I. You know, you're a kid. You don't decide who your bank is, right? Like you you don't you you don't know you don't decide what your name is when you're born. You don't decide uh, where you were born, and you also don't decide who you bank with because your your parents decide for you. I, I can't wait to switch from CIBC. Uh, like it, it's unbelievable how like the stuff just doesn't work. I now that the EQ Bank card is out, I am now literally not using it. Like I'm not using my bank like I used to. I'm like completely on EQ Bank right now, um, and that was already happening for me. So. Dude, I, the the big banks like they just <laughs> irk me. Yeah, just and the I'm fees. so happy. Mm-hmm. Just the I'm so happy. Uh, not only EQ's a sponsor here, but like I, I would be pumping them regardless because it's it's legitimately true.
1: Yeah, and just a, one last thing here on CIBC is another alarming thing to me, at least a total variable rate mortgage portfolio with fixed payments still, but you know, still variable rate it's 38% of their Canadian mortgage portfolio. So that's, I mean, just kind of projecting numbers, that's probably around like 20%, I would say, of their total loan value is variable rate mortgage portfolio with fixed payments. So it's still variable rates. It's just the payments are fixed. So oftentimes what they'll do is they'll just extend the amortization or um, if they hit their trigger rate, I think they'll have to increase it. So it's... I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Um, I know people get attracted for the yield for CIBC, but um, there's definitely some amar- alarming things. And personally, I would look at some of the other banks. Now, the last one here is Bank of Nova Scotia. I'll uh, we'll go quickly on here. So EPS down 36% to $1.36. Loan loss provisions of $638 million that was compared 529 million in q4 of 2022 to and 222 million in q1 of 2022 Net interest margin of 2.11%, which is significantly higher than the two other banks, but it's been trending down a little bit. And I think what really makes it higher for Bank of Nova Scotia is their Latin America operation. Because I was looking and, you know, one thing that you can look when you look at banks is their supplemental information is actually really useful. So they'll break down the segments, they'll break down uh, the net interest margin, for example, for their different segments and all the revenues. And, you know, there's a lot of data. Some of this stuff you may not, you know, fully understand. I know I don't all the time uh, because banks can be quite complicated. But one of the biggest risks for Bank of Nova Scotia is really their Latin America operations. So that is a risk, something to keep in mind. I know they have a new CEO who is looking to review their full operations like as a whole. So it'll be interested what. Kind of happens in the next year or so whether they try to divest parts of the business or you know i don't know exactly what they're looking at but they are doing a strategic review um so that's just the yeah the the overview of bank of nova scotia here
0: yeah i see them i saw them all over latin america and central america um which was shocking to me because i didn't know that was there um have you seen i mean it's not a huge economy Cambodia largest and fastest growing bank is owned by national. It's called ABA Bank. Uh, ABA Bank. Let me just confirm that. Yeah. ABA Bank. Um, they are everywhere in Cambodia, which is, uh, you know, a fast growing, super undeveloped economy in, uh, in, uh, in Southeast Asia. So. National Bank. If I had to pick uh, a big bank, would be the one that I would be particularly interested in. But I don't know if I'm interested the in any of the smallest
1: banks. of the big ones. <laughs>
0: smallest of the big ones. I don't know. They just seem to be doing the good, uh, good things. Um, and uh, I think they've also been a leader in performance.
1: Yeah. No. They they've done pretty well overall. Um, yeah. I think for me it would probably that knowing that with a caveat that I'm not not an emphasis not a bank expert or you know an expert on evaluating banks i know my way around decently well but yeah for me it would be um like you just said national bank and potentially either um you know td bmo or royal bank uh, just because i like the diversification different for all three but uh, i do like the diversification they represent Come join,
0: uh, the EQ Bank shareholder squad. I have like quadrupled my money on the stock at this point. I think more actually. Uh, if you include my yield on cost too. Um, shareholder, happy customer. Thank you to the friends at EQ Bank. Um, that does it for today's episode, Simon. Good stuff. Uh, Let's uh, let's record another one. Yeah, yeah. How about it? Let's record another one. The back-to-backs, baby. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the pod. We appreciate you uh, dearly. And uh, if you haven't gone over and smashed that uh, follow or subscribe button on your podcast player. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, scroll to the top, hit the subscribe or the follow button on Spotify. That way when they come out on Mondays and Thursdays, they're right in your podcast player. We will see your beautiful faces in a couple of days. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.